0: Plan savings with three lines of T Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close.
1: To the Buffalo line. To the next. Sabre is able to smack it in. there's a shot, scores! Dembrius Jurgensen's gonna get this one. He's got himself in front of the net. Quinn, tapping that stick, scores! Shot from along the goal line
0: on the far side of the ice by Paterka.
1: Pass back by Middlestadt to Dali, the
2: stick in front of the net. Dali took the shot, 3-0 over Chicago. Oopy, great job. Yeah.
1: Back-to-back shutouts for Uko, Pekka, Lukunen. And the Sabres have won five of their last seven and have a chance to close out the six-game homestand with four wins in six <clears throat> Saturday afternoon. Kids takeover day at Key Bank Center, Marty. And we started that little highlight reel with a group we are going to miss in its entirety. There, I think, are going to be a couple still hanging around yes. for the Saturday game, but uh you had a chance to address once again the incredible group known as the Czech and Slovak Fan Club after last night's latest Buffalo win.
2: Yeah, and I got to talk to Victor, their uh, fierce leader, uh, who kind of always uh, I talk to and communicate to through social media with him over the years, and um, so I went up to Victor. And I said, Hey, which one is your guy that plays hockey with Dominic Kashek? Because Dominic Kashek says, I know one of the guys, he plays on my like men's league team or whatnot. And Victor said, Oh, that guy didn't make the trip. But obviously, there's a lot of them. They got to take a picture with Dominic Kashek. Um, that Lukonen... Like, song is awesome, by the way. So we would all should be yelling it in the crowd, right? And that's what Victor just tweeted us. Guys, do us a favor and learn this chant so we can hear it while watching the games at 1 a.m. Thank you. We love you. So it was an amazing kind of 10 days with the Czech and Slovak uh, Bills, not Bills, Sabres Fan Club. Those Uh, two. (laughs) <laughs> well, I want to, I always want to say Czech Mafia because that's what it is, right? And then it made me think of Bill's Mafia, but. Uh, but you don't want to exclude the Slovaks in it. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to exclude the Slovaks because uh, um, they're a big part of it. So anyway, yes. it started with seven of them, and now they've grown to be this large group that get together, watch games, talk about the Sabres, made the trip for the first time out here to be able to catch the Sabres live, and they were a lot of fun. But at the start of the show, we. Sh- Obviously, played the sound of their Lucanin's chant. Uh-huh. It just dawned on me that that's the the Saints Marching In like song, right? It's like Lukanen, Lukanen, a Lukanen, a Lukanen, and that's how they go, right? And so I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like anyway, it just it, that's what they do in Europe. They take a song and they insert player's name in there, and they chant the name, and they just. They, they celebrate that player, and I think we should add a little bit of that in, in yeah. our everyday North American pro sport.
1: Times a million. I agree, and honestly, like, you know, last night um, just across the street at the draft room, you had a quick, uh, you know, catch-up with them, and it never yeah. changes. Like, they are the most consistent, upbeat, like, incredibly uh, attentive, supportive, encouraging group um, it's infectious. I know yeah. I kind of, you know, talked about that with your personality and love of the game yesterday, but like there's maybe based on volume, the number of them that we're seeing on this trip. And by the way, like what a time to be here. Like, I mean, <laughs> I had a lot of wins, but Holy crap. Talk about, unfortunately, experiencing the worst of Buffalo weather while you were here, but
2: well, the Bill's the- playoff. <laughs> Two snowstorms, really. Two like storms, nothing. Sabres wins. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Duffer, this is like, I guess we're getting used to back to back consecutive wins, right? Because this was the third time, but we hadn't gotten consecutive wins in so long Mm -hmm. from the month of October until just the early January that after the sabers won against chicago it didn't even dawn on me that hey this is the third time this year that the sabers are able to put consecutive wins together and because that has to be not even the norm or the standard it's the bare minimum of the standards so. right so i'm like okay we're, i'm done with bringing that up because now it's about can you win five in a row can you like the orlers have won 12 in a row i'm not asking for 12 in a row the seattle Kraken, well i know duffer you're you, you always shoot for the high, but I'm not asking for 12 in a row, but I would love to go five, one and one over seven and then do it again. You know, five, like let's go. That's the way it needs to be.
1: Yeah. The harsh reality is, is five, one and one or 12 game unbeaten streak doesn't guarantee you squat. And, you know, again, I hate to say it, but and this is not an indictment of how they have played since their winning streak, but the Kraken have now gone three straight games without a point. They're yep. falling back down the Western Conference standings, albeit slowly. But th- this is the fear factor, and it's almost like I don't want to say unknowingly because we deal with like we're. I think we're we're careful to project stuff that is. Uh, reality and not some fantasy right so when we were addressing honestly buffalo's situation about three weeks ago look they have to win two out of every three we yes. didn't like we're, we were sitting here being honest like they need to go whatever it was 29 and 12 you know so that means like win two out of every three and then go on a three-game heater to close out the year something like that right well they've won five out of seven that by definition is two out of three Two out of three, and the first of two out of three. Yes. So, and it's, and guess what? It hasn't really made a dent in the standings. But the hardest part now is to be patient. You can't lose sight of it. You can only address what is immediately in front of you. And, you know, there was a couple of days ago where it looked like, oh, this could be a a big week for Buffalo, potentially based on other teams' matchups. If they lose, if the Sabres win, all of a sudden, then the schedule gets delayed by a day everybody else starts moving up at a time when you weren't expecting them to move up. But if you just think of it in the context of win two out of every three, that is going to be a very, very, very high percentage at the end of it all. And maybe you lop off a point every week or every 10 days. Yeah. There is still a window to do that. Mm. And that's what this group has to believe in. And 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 hopefully now that you mentioned the whole back-to-back thing and we'll dive deeper into goaltending, the hope is that now that they have a rhythm with Lukanen and goal, that no matter how they play each night, because we're not going to sit here and pick apart the last two wins against Chicago and San Jose. No, the fact of the matter is they won, which they had to do. <laughs> so you don't really care. Like I'm not going to sit there and measure all the chances against and stuff like that, because it's not going to matter when Tampa
2: provides the opposition tomorrow. No, it's not going to matter. I mean, obviously I, I, it- You that you win 3-0 and 3-0 or whatnot against San Jose and Chicago, or that you win 10-1 and 12-2, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the end. Like, you can only play the game that's in front of you. Now, I did say, post game yesterday, Tampa is a different story. If you kind of play this patient, very careful game in the first period against, like tampa as you did against san jose in chicago it may turn out to be a different story giving up three partial kind of breakaway in the first period against chicago mm-hmm. like lucan needed to be hot but it's Whistle and it's rem pitlick coming in it's not kucherov and it's not brayden point that's a but different re- thing
1: rewind on this streak who was he stopping in the pittsburgh win when he had 44 slash it was crosby gensel yes. yes
2: it was those guys yes, yes. you're right but that's I, no. that's that's what that's so it can, it can be the same blueprint. I just think that the blueprint worked the last two games. Fine. I would love to see a little bit more of a, um, a, an authority, a control in the first period. The shot mm-hmm. attempts were 34 to seven after the first period yesterday. Great. Right. But if I have to put which chances were the best chances in the period, mm-hmm. the top two are Chicago's. And I'm like, okay, uh, is that the way I want to play my, my, my first period? No, but, but as Robbery pointed out many times in the broadcast, especially when Zemga scored, okay, a little pressure off your shoulders now. You got that one nothing lead. You can keep, keep just kind of like putting pressure on Chicago slowly and you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, tempo is a different story. Tempo is a different uh, type of team. So well, yeah, a little different approach to the first period would be uh, probably needed.
1: I know producer Jeff is going to keep us honest on this as far as any news uh, emanating from Tampa regarding their goaltending. Um, The fact of the matter is Vasilevsky has played 16 of the last 17, but the lightning are going into back-to-back this weekend as after Buffalo tomorrow afternoon, they're going to be in Detroit on Sunday. So is this a second meeting this year where Buffalo is going to see Jonas Johansson? Of course, in the first time around Johansson was the number one goalie because Vasilevsky was hurt. Yes. But the fact of the matter is, even though people aren't talking about Vasilevsky the way they often do, He's 12 and six since they got roasted by mm-hmm. Dallas, eight to one. His 12 wins are tied with Stuart Skinner for most in the NHL in that time. So don't worry about Vasilevsky and his goals against in the save percentage, which are fine. The fact of the matter is the cat is back. He's going to play most of the games, but might Buffalo catch a break here? Like, how would you play it out if you're John Cooper and the Lightning going into Buffalo Detroit on the
2: road this weekend? Um, how I would play it out is if you have uh the uh the plan to go one goalie one game one goalie the next game i personally if i'm john cooper i'm playing vasilevsky in game number one you know you are looking at those two games um and saying okay like getting one out of two would be great getting two out of two would be awesome but you got to get points and i always like starting your number one goalie game one as opposed to say, hey, you know what? 1230 start on uh on Saturday, Vasy. You're gonna have a practice Friday and then you won't play until Sunday. I'd rather put Vaslevsky in on the Saturday and say, Jonas, you you get Sunday and that's the way it is. So I think that would be how I would play it if I was John Cooper. I don't know if that's what he's gonna do because when you look at Tampa and you look at Detroit in the standings right now, they are both uh, at fifty one points. <laughs> you know, they yes. are the, the first team in the wild card and the second team in the wild card spot. They're at 51 points, right? They're both trying to get in the top three in the Atlantic Division, and they're only a point behind Toronto, which won last night a 4 3 win in Calgary. But I, I would play Vasilevsky game one, and I would go with Johansson game two.
1: Keep in mind, it's a rivalry game because there are so many tentacles connecting Detroit and Tampa from the Iserman era, not to mention the Newsy Lalonde era. So yeah. I don't know if John Cooper is going to start his backup against Newsy
2: Lalonde on Sunday. He may go back-to-back back with Vassy. Listen, this is a, a guy. goal. played 18 of the last 20. But he wants to play. He wants of to play. He, he missed does. half a season already, and I know a you got to manage that. Quarter, but if the guy season. comes up to you and says, I want to play both games, just like Dominic Hasek came up to you. And I remember this vivid story one year. I was supposed to play Phoenix in Buffalo on a Thursday night. And I showed up to the morning skate Thursday morning and Lindy awkwardly skated up to me in the morning skate. And he says, uh, um, Dom's going to play tonight. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, I'm thinking coach's decision. And, and then Lindy, instead of leaving it at daddy says, Dom came in my office this morning and said he really wanted to play tonight. So I'm going to start him. I'm like, well, this is bull. Like, at least, like, just say you made the decision. Not that Dom made the decision, but it is Dominic Hashek, right? He wanted to play against Arizona. Um, and then I got the, 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 the really tough road matchup the next game on a Saturday night or whatever. But still, if Vassi comes up to you and says, I want, I want to play. I don't care if John Cooper says, uh, no, listen, we're going to put Jonas Johansson in. You're playing Vasilevsky. You should have told Lindy he doesn't see the game very well. Uh, and then go into a great explanation about how I should be playing against Arizona or Fans. Yeah. At so the
1: time. on that note, there are four games, uh, more saber talk coming up here, but yes. of importance because we just showed the standings and we could show them again. Detroit is on a seven game point streak right yes. now, but they're in Carolina tonight and the Canes are seven, one and one in the last nine. Lindy Ruff's New Jersey Devils have one win in the last five. They're taking on Columbus. <laughs> And, Marty, did you know? And I always feel a need to reinforce. No, Jack this,
2: Hughes, right? And, and New Jersey has been hurting yes,
1: Yeah, he has. Well, yeah, nothing new there, but yes. uh, <laughs> he, he hasn't been a part of it. But the point is, everybody dumps on Columbus. And aside from their atrocious uh, run after the first five games, they're 500 in the last 25 games. Yeah. They are 10, 10, and five. So, interesting matchup for sure. Minnesota is two nine and one in their last 12 games they got destroyed by Tampa last night but they're taking on a Panther team that all of a sudden has lost three in a row now two of those were beyond regulation time so in the big picture the Panthers are still red hot they are nine one and two in the last 12 and then closing it out tonight see all these games have an impact on the Eastern Conference the Islanders who've lost three in a row and five out of six, all in regulation time, are taking on Chicago, who were just here last night and have four wins in their last 19. So, that's the long-winded overview of what Buffalo and their fan base can be looking at tonight yeah. as far as the standings. But and we're and we're going to have Shana Goldman
2: at the bottom of the hour. And yes. uh, you know, you talk about Minnesota and the New York Islanders uh, on her podcast, the Too Many Man podcast. She. Um, and we let's have fun with her with that. But she feels completely vindicated because she had written a piece about how Minnesota and the Islanders could not keep up, you know, basically winning the games that it was gonna come back down to earth. And she got a lot of uh basically bad uh messages on how no no no, that's you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And now she feels vindicated because the islanders and Minnesota have kind of regressed to what has been like uh well, they're having a tough time right now. And yeah, injury in Minnesota, but still. Uh, They're not winning games.
1: Well, that's a dangerous game to play because we, in this position of talking too much, can't celebrate the wins too much because for everything that we suggest might happen, 26 other things happen. She did suggest that
2: maybe because she mentioned it, now there will be a reverse jinx and the Minnesota Wild and the Islanders will start winning. I was thinking
1: more (laughs) of the fact that she really never let go of the fact the Oilers need to get a goalie. So, uh, yeah, that and Skinner has proven, been that really has proven good. Not to be true as Skinner's up to a nine game win streak. as part of uh, Edmonton's 12 uh, game win streak overall. Um, so much to get to, but let's do the quick update, although not so quick because we're 16 minutes into the show and I didn't hit it already. Cousins not at practice today. Samuelson and Skinner were Eric Johnson not at practice today after taking the brunt of the boarding major from, uh, Kurashev last night. Yeah. So we'll obviously pass along the update here. Um, Skinner has been alternating apparently on the power play today in the practice, which was anticipated. I mean, Don was very excited that that Skinner would be back at practice today. Um, this makes me feel like grade school. I was going to start by saying, okay, class, open your textbooks today. We are going to do line review. Ugh. So... <laughs> What did you make of last night's unprecedented line combinations in Sabres history? We had never seen that collection of 12 together,
2: let alone in that configuration. Yeah, no, it was one that uh, early on I was trying to pay closer attention to it. And uh, really, to be honest with you, the Sabres, to me, um, had control of the play more than the Chicago Blackhawks. And the lines all looked really good because Mm. of that. I felt like Zimgus Gergensen was, to me, one of the best player on the ice, right? And he's given an opportunity to play with Casey Middletat and Jack Quinn, and I felt like he wasn't behind. He was leading the way. He was first on the forecheck. He was creating
1: that way. I'm amazed you're bringing that up first because remember when I wasn't too enamored with the power play in the first period? Yeah. And you, you and Razor and I were kind of on different pages there. One of the reasons why was because Gergensen's with Middlestat came out shortly after the power play and they were moving the puck to me at a pace that was twice as fast as what the number one power play unit was. I'm like, this is the speed they need to be moving the puck. And I love the fact I look, Zemkis will to be the first to tell you he's not blessed with true goal scoring hands, but the willingness to shoot the puck when plays are created by Casey Middlestat is a huge step in the right direction to this team creating more from a rebound chance, well, and you know I thought.
2: So I thought, here's what uh, I'm gonna do: a review of the lines. I'm gonna pick a player on each line that okay. was for me the player that wow, they really changed the way that line looked. So that mm-hmm. Casey Middlestad Jackwin, and Gergensen's line, I'm gonna say Zemgus was a big difference in how that line played and looked. Right, mm-hmm. so that's one. Zach Benson. With Thompson and Tuck. I thought Zach Benson had one of his better games of late. Like, he was good with the puck. On the power play, on the goal line, he looked to attack the net. There's just, there was nobody getting to the front or to the middle of the ice for him to make a play. But I thought Benson looked really good in the game, in my opinion. Um, And on the Greenway-Oposo-Olfson line, I'm going to say that Victor, you know, showed a little bit of, like, I don't want to say anger, but there was a little frustration maybe that he hadn't played in a while. He had mm-hmm. a couple of good looks from the slot early on. And then after that, it kind of slowed down for that line. So that line for me was more of a, eh, they were okay. But, you know, Victor hadn't played in a long time. Right. Uh, You know, Greenway's in the middle of the ice. So there's a, there's a lot more challenges to that line. And J.J. Paterka on the Krebs Robinson line. Mm-hmm. Like J.J. had a missed opportunity on the power play on the one-timer. He, uh, he had a couple of really good plays in the offensive zone but when he scored that goal that set him apart that set him apart saying I am so confident that I can play my game I'm going to score goals and now he was able to score his 14th of the season despite the fact that he's been you know snake bitten the last little bit here but he was able to score on that short side goal um I thought he was a big difference in that in that line as well should have, could have had a really beautiful primary
1: earlier in the game on a cross-ice pass to Krebs for a one-time opportunity. And yes. I thought that trio was maybe the most intriguing one of all based on what we talked about yesterday because of the feeling that it might create for the other two. Like, hey, JJ's on our line tonight. Mm-hmm. And 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 whether it's your imagination running wild when you're watching stuff like this or it's reality, I think... I thought, it well, it's hard to define, but I thought they all benefited from playing with one another. I thought Robinson was noticeable. I thought Krebs was noticeable. And I thought Paterka looked like, the catalyst of the line, which yes. you would want him to be, right?
2: So. Well, you I need think- that on every line. It changes yeah. every game. But if you have one person that's the pilot, right? That lights yeah. up the flame and then everybody kind of catches fire after that. That's what you need. I thought Paterka was definitely that catalyst, that pilot that lit up that line. Um, but so was, um, Zemgus on the, you know, middle stat and quint line. I thought Zemgus, there was a time where, he was going in on the forecheck and he was like floating on the ice Mm -hmm. and he was fat. I'm like, wait a second. Like, am I seeing things here? Like Zemgus has got a step in his game. Well, he was given an opportunity to play a different role and he, I feel like it fueled him in that way. So, um, yeah, I thought there was one person on each line that really stood out to me. Still snowing where you are a little bit. Yeah. It's still snowing. And, you know, I mean, I had to go out and, do a little bit more plowing, plowing this morning and may have to do a little bit more. I can't. I love plowing. Don't get me wrong. But I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, I would love to just chill for a little bit and maybe grab a nice lunch or a nice dinner instead of having to run out with the truck and, and snowblower and do all of that. So, we, uh, we need oh, oh Duffer, I just yes, remembered. Sir. Yes. Oh, man. We talked about the game last night. I said <laughs> yeah. I wanted, because I'm looking at my notes right now. The Rasmus Dalin minor penalty followed by oh, a minor right. penalty, right? Mm-hmm. So the rule is, is that to be able to establish yourself in the playing area, you have to at least have one foot on the ice before you can make contact with the puck. The same way as if the puck was about to leave the surface, the ice surface, and you're on the bench and you knock it down. If it's going to go over the glass, it's a penalty. You're not in the playing field. So that penalty happened. All the fans in front of us were like, what the heck? Why is there a penalty? A couple of people even asked me, like, is that a penalty? I'm like, yeah. You can't touch the puck until you have at least established one foot on the ice. And Dahlin didn't do it. He knew the rule, didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But it made me think of Maxim Afinaganov years ago. And Afinaganov got called for the same thing, but he wasn't out of the penalty bench. Max had a bad habit, and Lindy used to hate it, that when he was up, and he would see that his winger that he's replacing would be on his way to the bench. Max would get over the bench, sit on the dasher board with both of his legs dangling on the, like over the, the ice basically. And he would wait. And then when the player would be close enough, he would pop himself off the dasher board, right? With his a little movement forward and he would get into the play. Yeah. So one year we're there and he sees his winger coming towards the bench and Max sits on the dasher board and he's ready to go. And the puck came close to the bench. So while he's sitting on the dasher board, he reached out for the puck and actually made a stick handle and a pass before getting on the ice. Oh my gosh. And he got a penalty. So Max in his Russian accent is like, what did I do? What what, what did I do? I touch buck. I touch buck. I did play. I make pass. I didn't take penalty. Lindy's yelling, like losing his mind. And still after the game, Max is like, didn't know his rule. I don't know a rule. Like, I touched Buck. <laughs> what what? Oh my God, that was so funny. So the Dalian one wasn't as funny as a Finneganov one, but that was a highlight that we'll never see. But a highlight of Maxima Finneganov's career in Buffalo.
1: Well, I don't know about never. I mean, I trust Tom Mecca to dig and dig and dig and dig into the archives, which, you know, they may may be able to produce uh, a little bit more in the way of footage. So, you know, Tommy Mm -hmm. was a key contributor to last night's postgame. I still have the
2: sheet. I have the sheet right here. January 18th, this is the fifth goalie Sabres shutout on January 18th. Don Edwards, Tom Barrasso, Ashek, myself, and now Uko Pekalukkanen.
1: Circle the date. It's a goalie date forever moving forward now Mecca has also been a big reason why some of you who may have partic taken part in our fan duel same game parlay Uh, anybody that's had some success this year you can often tip your cap to Tom Mecca for helping create that trio of things that may happen in the course of a Sabres game now Marty before we uh, give you the official promo for tonight which is Tucker Out Lymphoma Night in Banditland. I do want to take a minute. You're obviously seeing the, one of the uh, previous jerseys um, from a past Tucker Out Lymphoma Night. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is... Man, you said it so well this week when, when you talked about the identity of the Bandit, Bandits franchise and how Scott Loeffler and company have just um, done everything they can to show the support for the Williams family after Tucker's beyond courageous battle. Uh it mm-hmm. dawned on me today yesterday that um that Tucker Williams has been guiding us from above for longer now than he was actually um on the floor playing yeah. the game. He passed away at the age of 8 uh back in 2014. And I thought you would love this story that Almost a year ago at this time, as you know, most of the players, many of the players that end up playing professionally play Junior A in Canada, typically in Ontario and British Columbia, but some other provinces too. Last year at about this time, um, the then reigning champions of the uh, Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League made their first overall selection at the draft. And it was an honorary choice of Tucker as the first overall pick. And it was amazing to see how everybody that witnessed that said, we all know Tucker would have gone number one. And I just think it's, you know, to try to put into context what Tucker and the Williams family mean to the game, I don't think you have to look too far beyond a story like that because you've lived it with hockey. I dare say lacrosse is an even smaller community that everyone knows everyone. So when you have something this impactful, like Tucker's courage, which is then taken not only by the bandits, but by most teams in the national lacrosse league, they spread the same message, right? They choose to go Tucker out lymphoma, you know, uh, lacrosse out cancer, stuff like that. Um, it is incredibly moving to know that one young child had, and still has, this big of an impact on the game.
2: So, Duffer, this is so, um, it's, it. we're lucky to be here in Banditlands and have this story that every year we can bring up to the people, because it is these type of moments, these types of courageous battles, these types of support stories that we all love to talk about in, in here. And yesterday I was scrolling through social media when I read about this player on the um, Cape Breton Screaming Eagles mm-hmm. that returned. So Jacob Newcomb was diagnosed with non-hunchkin lymphoma. And after six rounds of chemotherapy and having done treatments every three weeks, he rang the bell on December 6th and now he's cancer free. And he made his season debut last night with the Cape Breton Screaming Eagle on Hockey Fights Cancer in Cape Breton, his mom came to center ice to drop the puck. Ooh. It was, it was unbelievable. So those type of stories, like they're, yeah. that's why like we can have a big smile and hug each other and love each other because of these stories that we talk about on Hockey Fights Cancer. And tonight Tucker Out Lymphoma is mm-hmm. one of the stories. Unfortunately, Tucker's not here, but his, his presence, as you said, is, is always going to be around because the bandits embrace it. Players around the National Lacrosse League embrace it. It's not just a bandit thing. They all know about it. They all support it. And it's, it's, it goes farther than that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing that they drafted him first overall as a gesture. But again, it just goes with the family and the, the togetherness that is the National Lacrosse League.
1: And a time for us to give a shout out to our friend, Tyler. Um, we've uh, yes. talked about Tyler Cruz a lot. Uh, the bandits were right there at the forefront last year, supporting him as we continue to do so in his fight. And can't wait to see in bandit land tonight. 730 is the game time for Tucker out lymphoma, all sorts of uh, promotions, fundraising activities involved during the game. If you're watching on MSG right now, you can scan the QR code on the screen for tickets or go to bandits.com slash tickets. Um, There have been just so many wonderful stories uh, created through Tucker Out Lymphoma Night, and uh, I hope you're there to witness it tonight. If not, you can watch it locally on CW23, and uh, obviously we'll see you in Banditland. We'll have Shana Goldman with us on Sabres Live right after this. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
0: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close
1: same can be said about Shayna goldman that's why she's with us every friday here on sabers live hi Shayna. how are you
3: hi what an intro wow gas me up before we even start
1: <laughs> well Wait marty was we talking fired about pilot lights
2: like, earlier so uh, we're like we're my snowblower about... maybe we just need to warm the, the thing <laughs> up and then we fire it up and it goes right that's uh that was my problem this week uh shana because we had Dominic Kashuk on last night, pregame, and Dom was awesome, by the way. He was so much fun. He he listed Marty Brother, Ed Belfour, and Patrick Waugh as the top three goalies. He said he didn't want to kind of go into different generations, so just the guys he played against, um, which I was surprised he put Patrick number three. But anyway, let's talk about uh, goalies in the NHL right now. Um... Would the Nashville Predator ever consider trading UC Saros? and what would be, is Quentin Byfield enough to be able to make the deal or would it need to be more? It would need to be more. Um, oh, good. Quint- because Duffer pre-show said the same thing and I'm like, well,
3: it's a lot, but still okay. No, UC Saros is our short king and he's worth everything and more. You know, he's someone that has shown he can be a game breaker. You look at the Predators' playoff runs of the last couple of years and how they got there. And it's the UC Sorrow show. Even if he has a bad first half, when it matters most, he comes to play. He has been so clutch. Last year, I think he actually was the best goalie in the league, which is so, like the bar was so high with Sorokin and Olmark killing it too. But I think he's that fantastic, even though this season hasn't gone perfectly. Like he was incredible in December and then January happened and who's to say, but I would say he is a, a known commodity and he's also someone that fills a need Everybody knows that the Kings has that. I I would say you have to squeeze for a little bit more. You know he's 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 not in his thirties. This isn't a Markstrom. Like there's going to be demand for goalies. I would say squeeze any team for every every ounce of juice you can get if you want him.
1: Okay. Or don't trade him. Nice juice pun.
3: Thank you. Oh, I, I hang like out you. with Allison so much. You know I'm working on it.
1: <laughs> you can't I, trade him. They. I mean, no, what? Are, I, I, I know they got Askarov, and you know, maybe, but like. Well, anyway, let's why don't we look at who they beat last night and how that team can't beat anyone. The Kings have now lost ten of eleven.
3: Yeah, it's not great. And it's a bad time too, because you have other Pacific Division teams surging. Like, yes, this is timing with the Vegas Golden Knights slip. So that obviously works for them. But the Central Division is so good, the top three there. And then you look at the Pacific and the Kraken had their win streak and, you know, look a lot better than they did a month ago. You have the Oilers (laughs) killing it right now to the point where they've pushed them out of a playoff spot. It's a really tough time for the Kings. But if you're going to have this tough time, have it now, figure it out and have a strong second half. Right. But it's it's interesting what's hurting them. It's it's not the goal scoring as much. It's. I would say before the last couple games, it wasn't the goaltending. Cam Talbot had two really rough games, and then Riddick was in net last night. But before that, you just kind of saw their rush game, something they were really good defending against, come apart. So that's what they need to clean up. And maybe it's as simple as getting back to basics. So you can support your goaltender, because we have talked about it a million times. Who knows what the second half of the season is going to look like for 36-year-old Cam Talbot at this point. I think that you need to ensure your team is very stout in front of the net so you can ensure your goaltending is going to do what they need to do, because you. Don't have the money for more. Okay. Well, LA went and acquired
2: Columbus's Jonas Corpusado last year. Could LA acquire Columbus's Elvis Merzlikens this year? Because I like Merzlikens. I think he had some rough, uh, like off ice kind of situation in Columbus. And and that's not easy to come, you know, full circle. I think Merzlikens and a new team could do a lot of damage and could be really good.
3: Completely and totally agree. I think it's so tough to look at. Look, if everybody looked at Columbus, right, and thought, look at this season that Corpus Allo is having. They kind of forgot to look at the rest of his career, right? And that was yeah. some pretty tough numbers. But everyone gave him the benefit of the doubt of, look at who he was playing behind when Ottawa signed that contract. You got to have the same conversation with Elvis then. Look at the team he's played behind. They've been very bad through much of his career. They had a couple good years. So, you have to account for that. And then, like you mentioned, the off-ice stuff. I feel like this is someone that's a little bit outspoken. And it, it it's annoying because we say we want to hear personalities, right? And goaltenders have them. And here, Elvis shows his, and then everybody's so quick to jump on it. I look at it and say, he needs a fresh start. I think he'll be very good behind a team like the Kings. It's the contract. And it's a risk, right? Every trade has a risk. But if you're acquiring that much cap space and that term, there isn't as much of a way out. But I think he's still a good bet to take.
1: Um, the Flyers are going to win the Metro, aren't they?
3: <laughs> not if Danny Breer has something to say about it, right? Um...
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's changed course now. They're two points back of the Rangers. They've won five in a row and arguably have the hottest goal scorer not named Reinhard or Matthews in the form of Owen Tippett.
3: Yeah, it's a fun year for the Flyers, which it's, it's nice to see. You know, they changed management everyone was so quick to jump on them because it was torts and i love everything they're doing this year the defensive structure that they have thanks to john tortorella and bradshaw i don't think is talked about enough the power kill that they're running doesn't get talked about enough and then you're yeah. seeing players like owen tippett who needed a change of scenery and look at what he can do and the offensive talent too it, it just is all kind of clicking at the right time and even if they do sell a player two, which maybe they should still do regardless of their playoff status because the big picture is what they're focusing in on they can still compete. Nothing's going to stop them from it. And because they gave themselves such a nice lead, they can still make a wild card seed. So maybe that just gets them some player uh, playoff experience for guys like Tippett, like Bobby Brink, more for Travis Konecny, and and sets them up in a better position for the next year.
2: Um, is this more the Flyers playing really well or the Rangers playing really bad and mostly Igor Shosturkin not being himself? I mean, I look at his numbers and according to a hockey reference, Shosturkin has seven really bad start this year in 29's, 29 starts. He had only six in 58 starts last year, four in 52 the year before. Um, Jonathan Quick almost probably saved the Rangers season with how good he was early in the year. So what's wrong with
3: Shosturkin now? I think it's a mix of both, right? The Flyers have been really good, and the Rangers have really lost that margin that they built up for themselves. The Rangers, defensively, we saw really trail off after they had that great start to the year. They were allowing more rush chances against, really high danger chances against constantly. So I think that was a problem, and Chesterkin was struggling with it when he returned from injury. Then it felt like he hit his stride, and you kind of saw Jonathan Quick Tail up a little bit too, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he's had such a great year, and we're like, well, look at the magic of Benoit Lair. But we also have to remember this is still Jonathan Quick, and he hasn't had a consistent season like this in what six years. He had some great heights in LA those last few years and then completely crashed and burned. And while I don't think that's going to happen this year, we can see his game catching up to him. So it's even more important for second to raise the bar. It just seems like every time he gets on the right path, and I think his games against Seattle and Washington were that. He has such a stinker like he did against Vegas last night. So it's that inconsistency that we're not accustomed to for him. What I mean, it just, you know, he needs to figure that out. Yes. And I think the team has to figure out how to win games if he's not going to be perfect, because you need a little bit of everything if you want to go deep in the playoffs.
1: How would you assess the Islanders and <laughs> their goaltending or, and or big picture, given that they've dropped five of six and all of them in
2: regulation time? Vin, vindication? Is that the word you use on your <laughs> vindication. podcast?
3: I'm in my vindication era. Like, listen, <laughs> I wrote that article about Lou Amarillo and people were very quick to jump on it. Like, we're two points out of a playoff spot. How could you say that about us? And it's like, well, I'm not talking about just this season. I'm talking big picture. And big picture is that Lou Amarillo is not a good general manager and you can go through his history of what he did with the islanders and cherry pick a couple good contracts like the Pelic deal right but otherwise tell me what he's done besides bringing barry trotz who in his complete staff um i don't think he has the vision to take this team where they need to be and they bet so much on this core you have nine players with no movement and no trade clauses That's not good. You not just locked yourself into your core, but your supporting cast that was mid to start with. So this drop off is not surprising to me. What is surprising is how many players have dropped off. You see like Noah Dobson, he was legitimately like Norris caliber. And then late December, like the 28th, 29th, you just see this drop off. And while he's starting to trend back up, that's concerning too. It's a team wide issue. Um, the coaching is a problem. The roster is flawed. And Sorokin at least is hitting his stride a little bit more than he was originally in the season. Like he kind of forgot he was an elite goalie to start the year. And now with Varlamov hurt, like it's a lot more on his plate. But I say I would say it's everything in front of the blue paint is what's costing them right now.
1: Marty, I just got a notification on my phone. The Stifler's mom band has unfollowed us after that Islanders crashing. <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, they 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 never followed Shayna, so that's probably why they're unfollowing us. So that's good. <laughs> uh, Shayna, um, I was asked this question this morning for a hit I did with TSN, and I'm going to ask you the same question. And it's a little Sabers, you know, history in there. Is that if Austin Matthews hits seventy goals? Does he win the Hart Trophy? And the last time that a player had 70 goals or more was Solane and McGilney in 92-93, right? Nobody's ever hit 70 since then. So if Matthews hit 70, he had three last night. He's got now 37 in 42 games. If he hits 70, are we giving him the Hart Trophy?
3: Do the Leafs make the playoffs? Because there's this unwritten rule that you need to make the playoffs to be in the Hart Trophy conversation when that's not the case. To me... I feel like he should be getting more heart trophy buzz. And it's tough because it's a good field. You have Nikita Kucherov, which again, do the lightning, make the playoffs. You have Artemi Panarin. You have Nathan McKinnon, who is willing his team into existence. When they're playing him, they're going to play him 30 minutes a night if they have to because they're injured and their depth is hurting. You know, like to me, the pure winner right now is Nathan McKinnon. But that's nothing against Austin Matthews. And then you have Connor McDavid, who's back. Who knew? He would be amazing. Elite players bouncing back. What, you know, like... What a revelation. But Austin Matthews, and I think last night was a prime example of it. This Leafs team is not very good. They are so yeah. defensively flawed. Mitch Marner is scoring empty calorie points this year without enough substance behind it. The goal t- tending is a train wreck. He but missed Austin, an empty
2: net last night. I'm thinking at least that could get you going. He missed it. Like he had he a wide open a net. goal,
3: though. I'll give him credit. He had a goal yeah. and his game score was better than his point total, which has only happened 50% of the time, which is showing like the points are just outweighing everything else. Yeah. But Austin Matthews can flip a switch. That game is not won if Austin Matthews doesn't pick up the pace. And he's done it numerous times. I feel like if the Leafs are going to be a playoff team, it's going to be on his back. So yes, we should be talking about him in the Hart trophy conversation too.
1: That game was never in doubt, right, Marty? <laughs> what a coach's
2: challenge
1: no, on the mean, That, that was incredible oh, to me. Marty was yeah. all worried when it was two nothing I'm like,
2: oh yeah, yeah. that's right. It was I, two nothing like, and Toronto's the, the said nah yeah, the Leafs will win. But <laughs> Like, listen, we talk about coaches' challenge. Don Granado's been really good, and the Sabres yes. video coaches have been really good. Yesterday, Sheldon Keefe is yelling at Dean Chenote, I need to know now. I need to know now. It's 4 4 in the third period. He calls a timeout so that it gives his video coaches more time to review. And then yeah. they challenge on a missed hand pass, missed stoppage of play. They win the challenge. They win the game 4 3. That was pretty incredible. You got a fly? Was.
1: Shayna, thank you so much. Uh, uh, we want more time. You <laughs> know, we gotta extend it. Pop on her podcast.
3: <laughs> I've been yeah, there, you done that. crazy crazy, goaltending. Let's I, go.
2: I played a mean game. It was, uh, but I, I did it good. So I, I'll play that game again. All right, we'll wrap Sabers <laughs>
1: live right after this. Stay with us.
4: Back with more of
0: Sabres Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes
1: close. High noon start for us. Pre-game coverage tomorrow will be located at the Highmark 100 level East End Wing inside of Key Bank Center as part of Kids Takeover Day. It's going to be a ton of fun. If you don't have tickets yet, scan the QR code on the screen or go to sabers.com slash tickets. Buffalo trying to close out the stand with a fourth win in six games. The Lightning provide the opposition. The Amherst are in action tonight in Utica. And then they are home on Saturday at 5, as it will be a celebration of Women in Hockey Day for. Rochester, and they will uh, look to Dustin Tokarski in goal tonight. The Sabres, undoubtedly, I say that, <laughs> will have Lukin in goal tomorrow again yes. against Tampa. But uh, that remains to be seen. We know this. Happy birthday, Pete Weber, Buffalo sports oh. legend, current broadcaster of the Nashville Predators. He is 73 today. He has battled through a ton of stuff in the last couple of years, and he's still going strong. And we're grateful to know him and his encyclopedic, Buffalo Sports Knowledge. Meanwhile, I was going to say
2: Buffalo Sports uh historian is probably a good name for him. 100% right? And part of that history
1: none other than the great Thomas Vanek who is the 4 yes. 40
2: today. Uh, 40 years old for Vanek. He probably could still play because you know what? He didn't really spend a lot of energy when he played. He just waited in front of the net or waited at the far blue line. That's my introduction to Vanek. He came to a summer skate and he was cherry picking at the far blue line and everybody hated him for that. Then you realize, hey, he's pretty good at what he does.
1: He was incredible. And obviously, Banditland tonight will be exactly that. Look forward to seeing you there. And then, of course, we'll see you in Saberland tomorrow.